where I had the boat, he had hardly enough room to cast behind him because the rocks were tied behind him. The next thing the fish took, I initially thought when he took it that he was a salmon and we played him for probably 15 or 20 minutes, never seen him. And then he jumped. I said, that's him. I, I said to him, that's a sea trout. Not a chance in the world. He said, he's too big to be a sea trout. I said, there's only one way we'll know this for sure. That's the only time that fish jumped until we landed him. He had sea licensing. He was straight in like he was less than 12 hours or 14 hours in the lake. Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. For this week's episode, we're joined by Neil O'Shea, the long-standing ghillie on Loch Coran, whose family have been guiding on the lake for over 150 years. What Neil doesn't know about Coran probably isn't worth knowing. We speak to Neil about the good and the bad days for the lake, why you have a good chance of a springer in the coming months, and how double-figure sea trout can still be got if you time it right. But first, Tom, hard to believe you've never fished Coran. What have you been at? <laughs> Hands up. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I haven't. I haven't, Tara. Um, I've been around it a couple of times. Actually, even saw a regatta on it once. Um, the Ruin Regatta. Um, beautiful part of the world. And it is part of, as I said, there is part of my, um, my smaller, shall I say, my Irish bucket list, which gradually I'm taking things off. But particularly after talking to uh, Neil there, and he mentions um, uh, how they go after the spring salmon on the fly. It's it's whetted my appetite even more to get onto it. It's really interesting. You'll hear hear him describe it there when we talk to him. So yeah, definitely, I'll have to get down to it. But you you fished it, haven't you? I have. Yeah. I fished with Neil. I always like to kind of actually going down in October those last few days. My memory of his rotten conditions, and I tell you, Neil still gets you over fish. Like so, he's a he's a brilliant mm. guide and gilly and knows the lake so well and. God, even hearing him talking about his, it was his, what's he say, his great-grandfather? Great-grandfather. 1880s. It is, yeah, wow. Like, yeah. just, like, the amount of history and knowledge that family has, like, about the lake. And then, and then he tells us about the, the sea trout caught. And, oh. and and I suppose the danger is, maybe with it, is we're always talking about Quran now in the past tense. You know, and look, we have, mm. you know, we, we have to be cognizant and real about the fact in terms of numbers have been down. We know about the problems with the fish farm. The, the conditions, climate change, it is having an effect on the lake. But people are still visiting, people are still fishing it, and they are catching fish. They're uh, still catching fish, which is you know, good to hear. It reminded me, listen to it, it's a bit like with the salmon fishing. You know, it's mm. getting harder. But, you know, if you can get out enough times, if you can put the effort in, you know, you will, and you time it right as, as what Neil was saying was that you know the, those long drought conditions really where the water gets so warm, it's really causing yeah. a problem for the sea trout. He said, "Really, yeah, it really hit that point home and the increase in the water temperature and how it affects it." But uh, it's just what you said there. I mean, when he touches on you know the history of of, of all the fishing that's there, you know, going back, so you know, four generations are going with him, and um, and it is just. Mag- scenery wise it's just absolutely magnificent down there oh, so you know stunning. you'd be willing to to put up for that just to hope that you get one of one of those pet days that still still seem to be as he, as he said he had a couple of pet days last year you know but then it's like anything i know coming you know for people coming here on carob as well i mean so much of it comes down to conditions you have to take a chance you have to stab at a date you have to pick a date and um you just got to pray and hope that you get right conditions and if you do you know geez you could get lucky the way carob is a iconic you know an important mm. water 
in Irish cultural and economic and social terms. Quran is as well. well. Without a doubt it is. You want to see more being done, I suppose is what I'm saying, you know, from a government level, a state level, um, county council level. You want to see more being done to help it, you know, to really, yeah. to, to revitalize it and to do what they can in terms of external factors, you know, and really just bring it on because, as I said, like it just makes you mad when you think of the history and what it means and the everything down there. You'd love to see it come back. Yeah, you would, particularly if there's, you know, if there's anything that could be done, should we say, within governmental, that could be done. I mean, climate change is obviously in the warming temperatures. That's obviously not that easily rectified. But there are other things that could be, that, yeah. you know, could help us. Yeah, you know? and as I suppose, you know, John Murphy from Sandwich Ireland, that episode, they're trying to do their bit. They're trying to fight what mm. they can. So, you know, try and support it where you can and to help it where you can. And even to go fishing. Like, if it's mm. just to be down there in that, those incredible you know, landscape, the scenery, the surroundings, just to, just to be down there. It's, it's a special place as well. So, you know, and if we can, you know, the, if we, if there's seeing more fish being caught, happy days. Um, but let's yep. hope, let's hope it's not terminal and let's hope, um, you know, for, for people like Neil O'Shea, who's been so long associated with the lake that, the, you know, it continues long into the future as well. Right. Well, look, let's hear from Neil and uh, his incredible stories and also some great fishing tips about uh, fishing Loch Coran, especially early season. Um, but first I asked Neil about how the opening day uh, and weeks on Loch Coran had gone. I was out the first, the first day and there was quite a few boats out. There was eight or ten boats out and uh, a lot of kelts caught, but no fresh run salmon. And the following week to ten days, the conditions were very bad. Because only in the last few days, the conditions have improved. There's not many people fishing. There'll be very few guests here. The, the guests don't really start coming here until around the 1st of March, really. I suppose in the past they did come here, but I suppose over the last 10 or 15 years, you could have said that the, the spring salmon run has probably gone back uh, a month. Like, I did see five spring salmon caught on Quran on the first day, but in recent years, you know, if there's one or two salmon caught in January, there's no salmon caught this year in January. It starts around the middle of February. You start to feel fresh fish starting to come then, like, and then a few more people start to try it. And, you know, when the, the fishing that goes on there at the moment is only for a couple of hours. Fellas will try it for a few hours until you get serious anglers in that'll be during the day then, like, and all that, like, you know. And is, is it mainly trolling, uh, Neil? I suppose you could say 80% trolling up to around... The end of February, beginning of March, and then there's 25% in salmon fly fishing. We do salmon fly fishing a little bit different here on this lake than to a lot of places. We use a double-handed salmon rod and we row the boat over certain lies. We don't drift the boat for, for spring salmon at all. Like, like there'd be nine or ten certain lies. And like, yeah, you'll be talking about these being the size of a tennis court or maybe a little bit more in generally shallow water, less than 10 feet deep, and you concentrate on them, you fish it back and forth, you you, you, you fade the boat left and right using the wind, and you keep it at a certain distance from it, and the angler fishes with a double-handed salmon run. It's, it's generally a floating line, few intermediates, but mostly floating line, and fish with two flies. That's really interesting because that's probably unique to Quran. Isn't it? That's kind of unique. It's unique to Quran. The only other places you'll see that done 
would be maybe in the Tweed or on the Spey when they do fish out of a boat there, like. Uh, because I we were I was I was in the Tweed and I was amazed to see that they that they fish out of a boat, much similar to what we do. When, oh. uh, we have no flowing water like it. Uh, they do a little bit of it in the Hebrides as well, but it, it is in Ireland. It's unique to Waterford, like. Yeah, well. Like if if you were if you were coming to Waterford in the morning, you know, say to me, what would I bring? What to fish for salmon? I'd say bring a thirteen, a twelve, a thirteen, or a fourteen foot double hander with a straightforward weight for weight forward line, and we'd make the cast out of either twelve or. Uh, 12 or if the wind was very very strong maybe 15 pound but or something like 15 pound fluorocarbon but that'd be nice. that'd be what it'd be two flies six eight six eight and ten would be the size of flies mainly double hooks right. uh few single hooks yeah none of those shooting heads for you neil i tell you oh no, no. you nearly ran me out of the boat when i came down once <laughs> Oh, did you have an array of skagers and all of this? Oh, he was <laughs> nearly, nearly threw them into the <laughs> lake. Like. With the multi-tip lines. Come on, Neil. That's it. Fair play to you. Oh, you have to kick these other into players. Oh, jeez, you do. Fair play to you. I tell you, you did. <laughs> I think I had to take your rod but right at the end of it, or the, the spare rod anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And like, if, if you were sea trout fishing here, like, we tend to use a 10-foot or... Ten and a half foot, like that's the um, some fellas like a nine and a half, t- t- ten or ten and a half, mm. uh, single handed rod. And the three lines that I generally use are a full floater, uh, a midge tip, or an intermediate. That'd be the. And I mean, if they don't work for you for sea trout in water, they're not on that day. <laughs> that's the way. Just then when the grills come in just later on in the year, would you still use that method that you use to the springers? Would you hold the boat and over the lie? Or would you resort to drift fishing like you're after the sea trout? You can do both then. You can actually, some of the sea trout lies, you can drift over them like and you pick up sea trout and you pick up salmon as well. But you could concentrate like say on the river mouth and the point of Grassy Island and a few more places that but we still row the boat over those areas, but we could we use, like say, you'll be talking June, July time now, you'd use the single-handed rod now. A bit more delicate presentation, like, you know, six-pound straight nylon or 10 or 11-pound fluorocarbon, that'd be it. I have a few questions on the, the springers and the lies, because I'm fascinated by that. Like, why is it the only method... In Ireland, on Quran, like do we? Like, and is that a method that has gone back generation after generation? Oh, that's there as long as fishing has <laughs> taken place in Waterford. Yeah. yeah. And have we any idea why it was so different to the rest? Yeah. <laughs> I suppose, like that, you know, like if you go to Delphi, you will drift for salmon. Like if you go to Calamore, you'll drift for salmon. Mm. I think I think Waterville has deep stretches of water, like it. And um, um, you get salmon to concentrate. Like if you have a pint of an island and you have a rock maybe 20, 20 yards, 20 feet off it or 30 feet off it, and there's a congregation of rocks that you get. If you get one or two salmon to stay there, you get five or six or seven salmon to build around that. Mm. And certain winds 
in certain areas are uh, more effective. Like there's the Morrigan's Rock and there's the Grassy Island. Morrigan's Rock and Grassy Island work very well in northwesterly winds or westerly winds. Uh, southerly winds or southeasterly winds are not good for those. And then you were you were on the river mouth and places like that where uh, southeasterly winds are perfectly working in all like you know so. Mm. I think, I, it's it sounds like like if you were to drift, you'd be covering a lot of dead water to suddenly come upon the place that holds the fish, and you'd have maybe two minutes on it, and the next thing you're going over dead water again. Could be that's a very good description of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, a long time ago, you worked out there that why should you be spending a lot of dead time on dead water and just you know concentrate on where the fish are. Well. I, this was drilled into me. I, I didn't invent where they were. This was drilled into me by the generations before. Like, yeah. This you is did. how you would do it. Yeah, you did what you were told, Neil. Oh, yes. I remember that. All right, yes. Thanks be to God, I'm at the other end of it now. <laughs> but in fairness, it's the same, though, isn't it? Like with salmon in rivers. Anyway, you, f- you, know, you know where the lies are. And you, you fish, yeah, you fish right. over the lies. You, know, you don't be wasting your time. Yeah, particularly spring salmon, I believe. Mm. I mean, more so with spring salmon, isn't it? Yeah. You see, if you have a lie there, you can be fishing a lie for spring salmon. You can be fishing a lie for spring salmon. There could be six or seven spring salmon there. They don't know that you have to keep at them, keep at them, keep at them. And what we do is, if you're fishing a certain lie, we'd fish it for maybe half an hour, 40 minutes, maybe maybe an hour, if there was an odd fish showing. And if nothing happens, you'll end and you rest it and look at it. And if a fish moves again, you'll try it again. But you give it 20 minutes or half an hour, and then you go back at it again. You could change a fly. Um, certain things can make it make it all very... A certain change in the wind can bring them on. Like, you know, I seen it one morning with my brother fishing with a Dutchman. Flat cam, nothing happening. Waiting in position, hoping for the wind to come. The wind came... It came from the south, it went southwest, it lasted for about 15 to 20 minutes while they were fishing it. When the wind went west, they hooked the salmon 16 pounds and got him. By the time they had the fish landed, the day was flat again and it never came anymore. Yes. And like, he, like, like the Dutchman said to me afterwards, he said, when you go back and you say, was it a good day? He said it was a great day, but it was only, it was less than 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And that's right. Like, yeah. That's spring salmon, like. Yeah. I have seen I have seen the fish alive all day long, and at three o'clock or four o'clock, something changes. Bang! You'll get him. You'll rise him. You'll get a second one. That's that the way. Amazing. You touched on something yeah. there earlier on as well, Neil, and it seems to be prevalent around the whole country. Like you said, you remember one seventeenth of January, five springers been caught. Like it really yeah. seems as if the runs have just gotten later and later, doesn't it? <clears throat> definitely I'd say it's a month later yeah, like wow. the salmon the salmon the amount, let's say in January from the 17th of January to the end of January you would have said that a good year would be three or four salmon mm-hmm. now that seems to be February and the February seems to be March and I would I would have said that the two best months for spring salmon in Waterloo now are April and May right and it's it's funny how it kicks around because not last year, but the year before, it just punched forward 
for two or three weeks and they kicked off on the end of February and they fished right through March and it was very good like. And what size fish um, Neil? On average? An average spring salmon here is nine, ten pounds like. I've seen him cut twenty-four here. Ooh. And I suppose the best one I ever caught was eighteen and a half. But uh, that was cut trolling like. I caught him sixteen and a half on the fly. That was the best salmon I ever caught in the in the double handed rod on the fly. Is Quran like, you know, the rest of the country in the sense of the spring run, it it's gotten later, but it's also gotten smaller yes that would be true yeah that would be true the only thing is that we we have a hatchery here and it helps it like like a couple of years ago there we seen a hundred salmon caught here by the 12th of may that was 34 or 5 of them from the hatchery like right well so, you know fair percentage of them you see i suppose what quran is a is a big system but it's a small system in a way it's like like my uncle described it once, and he was a gilly for 60 years. He said, Koran is a big sea throat lake. It's a small salmon lake. And what he meant by that, that the salmon are concentrated right. in smaller areas, yeah. where it's possible to catch a sea trout anywhere in it. Right. Yeah, they go everywhere. Yeah. Those big yeah. salmon, the springers, do they spawn in one particular stream? Do they go further up the system? Or do they spawn? Yeah, they do that. You see the Comic River, the river, the river from the lake to the sea is only 500 yards long. It's Butler's Pool. Right. And, I mean, you don't have to have the lake. You don't have, you don't have to have a, a big flood in it. You, the level of the lake, the fish can come into Quran virtually any time they want because the tide comes right up to the, right up to the Butler's Pool at high tides. They can just flick over the stones into the thing. There's no problem. And then they're straight into the lake. And um, they go right up the lake. Then the lake is three miles long. And they go right up the lake to the Cumra River. And the Cumra River then goes on to the upper lakes, which you have Deriana, Lucknamona, Tonatlin, and Lucknahishkin. A certain element of the springers would, if the, like it's like anything, if the, river, if the water level is high, a certain amount will keep going. Right. But if you if they come in when the river isn't high, when the Cumberland River isn't high, they'll settle. And if they get any few days in the lake, they settle and they stay. And you get other, you get um, more fish building around them. Where if you get, if you get constant flooding, you get fish trickling away out of it. And when they go out of the upper lakes, it's like, it's like a safe haven. <laughs> no one can find <laughs> them up there. <laughs> yeah. But but all the main spawning in Quran is in the Cumberland River. The fish that go to the springers that go to Deriana drop back into Quran to spawn, and the ones that are in Quran go up into the Cumrup to spawn. Right. A few, a few spawn beyond the upper lakes, all right, but there's very, there is not a massive amount of ground for there for spawn. That's the main Quran, Cumrup system that does it. And then you have another lake on the south side, Copper Lake, and um, that's quite good spawning. In that as well, and there's couple, it's a very short distance. It's only maybe mile, less than a mile, and then there's a stream that goes off that. There's good spawning there for spring salmon as well. Is there much salmon fishing done in the upper system, uh, the upper lakes and the river, um, Neil? Not really, no. It's all Quran. Uh, the it? upper lake, it's all Quran. A little bit in the Cumber, but not an awful lot. And Deriana and Lucknamona are mainly fish for brown trout and sea trout. We wouldn't have, you know, like we have. Good numbers of brown trout in the upper lakes, but 
Not like you, Tom. We wouldn't be finding too many big ones there, like. Cool. Yeah, I've heard a lot about them, though. They're meant to be, they're meant to be lovely lakes of fish. Oh, oh, fantastic lakes of fish, yeah. Yeah. They're, I mean, you can get great numbers of round trout there, like. Yeah. How can you get the duck fly hatch there in, in, in April and things like that? There's, there's good action. It's possible to get a round trout of two pounds or two and a half pounds. There are maybe a few bigger than it, but you're mainly talking about fish 10, 8, 10, 12 inches, that kind of size. It's still great sport, though. Great action. Like yeah, I mean, if you use yeah. a five way for five way rod, you have some fantastic yeah. action. Like mm. that's think There's lots of them there. Like, but I have to say that's the thing about around Waterville Nail, isn't it? Like whether it's you know dependent on the conditions, you'll always have some kind of fishing on for you. You know. Oh yeah, I had it there. No, last year with two Englishmen, they <coughs> they come specifically for sea trout fishing there, and the, they come at the beginning of September, and. Uh, I don't know, the conditions were very warm, the water was fierce warm and everything, and very hard to get sea trout. You know, in the morning there, when you go out, you'll see a lot of sea trout moving, but as for to get him to rise, it's very, very hard to get him to do it. And then we went to the upper lakes, and these men fished dry fly, small clink hammers, uh, five weight rods. We, we had 20 brown trout and 40 brown trout another day, like. Fabulous. But I mean, they're, they're small. Like, I mean, the trouble, like, this man is a man called Tim Stoop. Tim worked at Harvey's for a long time, as you did, um, yeah. Tom. But, but um, he said the big problem is he said you were, he said to me, you were rare than too many big fish, he said. I had a lot of sea trout, like, and a lot of good sea trout, and had a lot of action, like, and I suppose when sea trout fishing was maybe better than what it is now, um, uh, we didn't bother an awful lot with see, with brown trout, like, but we've got into it a little bit more now. <laughs> I suppose, yeah, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Needs most, needs most. Yeah, needs most is right. I, I tell you what, before we get into the, the sea trout as well, and obviously Koran's fame for that, maybe maybe take us back a bit, Neil, because obviously Koran was just internationally renowned for, as a sea trout fishery. People come from all over the world um, to fish yes. it. Um, and your family, going back generations, have been gillies on the lake as well. So maybe just paint a picture for us what it was like in the, the back of the day, kind of. Well, I suppose my great-grandfather fished there, and he was a ghillie there in 1880s and 1890s, like. Wow. And uh, and uh, <laughs> it kind of came down through the generations to me. Then, like, I mean, <coughs> uh, my grandfather was a ghillie for... He died in 1980, and he was a ghillie for probably 65 years. He started when he was probably 14 or 15. At that time, there used to be two ghillies on the boat. who had a senior ghillie and an apprentice ghillie and two <laughs> guests. Yeah. I, suppose the, I suppose the apprentice ghillie was the version of the modern-day Yamaha. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd say he was there mainly for that now. Uh, yeah, really. <laughs> All the hard miles he's done. Yeah. yeah. But but, but uh, there was like, a but there was a pecking order, Neil. Like there was a senior, there was a senior ghillie, and then there was almost like the sidekick. The apprentice. You know? That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. All the guests at that time came through the hotels, the likes of the Butler Arms Hotel, the Southern Lake Hotel, and the Bayview Hotel. Where 
I suppose as I came into it, I, I'm 40 years of it now, like, I was there at the end and more or less at that, but I suppose certainly for the last 20 or 25 years, it's the gillies that are generating the guests coming in and creating the new guests, like, with websites and stuff like that and bringing them in, mm. like, you know. The problem is that gillies are getting scarcer. It's, uh, you know, um, just have to get new fellas to go into it, like. Uh, I mean, I suppose <coughs> my brother and myself know what I said, and uh, my father and my grandfather and my granduncle and that was from and my great grandfather from my that was from my father's side and then from my mother's side I had my uncle who was a giddy for sixty years. He was the head giddy at the Southern Lake Hotel for a long, long time. And um his father emigrated to America when he was very young and returned and started gillying then as well. So I'm steeped in it. <laughs> it was very it was very hard to get away from it. There was like, no I mean, chance you were going to get away from it. <laughs> there was no a worldly I, chance. There was funny things happen, like, you know, I remember, like, when my uncle was gillying, like, and my brother, my brother was younger than me, and uh, he, like, when he'd come home in the evening, I mean, at, I suppose, 14, 13 or 15, that kind of age, we'd take the boat, like, but that'd be unheard of in the present day, like, for to have two fellas like that take a boat or go out, and I mean, we went out in bad conditions, like, so, you know, we had been with my grandfather and stuff like that and my father and all that as well. But, I mean, the people at home didn't seem to worry about us at all. Like, you, know. you know, it's very it's true. Just we've just, funny, Neil, we, we're discussing that a lot and it's, it's come up in a lot of things we've done. It's, you know, there were different times. Like you said, they're 13 and 14. I was like out in a boat on my own here yeah. when I was 12 and 13 at home. Yeah. Like if a parent yes. did that these days with a 12-year-old child, you know that you know the two slur or something. Do you know what I'm? Well, sorry, I'm not, I don't want to make I don't want to make light of it. I don't want to make light of it. But basically, know, right. it's different times. Yeah, yeah. different, totally different times. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally different times. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, like you know, again at that time, all the fish were killed as well, which is which you know was part of the game. Like I mean, I as a young fella at less than twenty years old, and my brother we fish together at in the springtime, and if we caught a salmon, we sold the salmon. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'd be totally against that now. <laughs> like, I mean, I'd be yeah. talking the, the catch and release all the time now, like, you know. And uh, even though I think still, in moderation, there should be a little bit of people allowed to take a salmon or whatever, like. Mm. But, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, I suppose... I suppose it'd be it isn't the right thing to say, but there was too much killing done in the past, like you know. Well, it was taken for I'm granted, wasn't it? That it was taken for granted. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and tell me this: was the gilling done like from January on till October, Neil, or was it condensed in the summer months? In my grandfather's time, they didn't want to see any guests before the first of May because they had trolled for salmon themselves. Right, and they actually wow. made more money out of selling the salmon. Of course. At that time, at that time, uh, I'd be talking maybe mm, pre first war or, or second world before the second world war and after the second world war. And it, after the second world war, the price of salmon was very high. And my grandfather told me that if he trolled for a week of his own, he got one spring salmon. 
it was better to him to sell that. There was a, um, a fishmonger in Watford that were buying them and sending them to Billingsgate in London to be sold then. And if he got one salmon, it was better than a week's wages with a guest at that time. Wow. Well, you could fully understand what he was at. So, wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, you, there, was a, there was a fishmonger, there was a guy in Waterville, was there, that would buy them? Well, there was a, there was a family in Waterville who used to buy salmon and, and well, they used to buy shellfish as well. Like, in, they were all exported. See the train. Uh, here, how would they get, them. what would they do? Drive them to the train? Is it, or what would they do? Yeah, the train that shares the train came to um came to Carsevine in that that's right, ten so miles from Arthur. Oh right, so the, yeah, Carsevine's just up the road. That's right, yeah. And they took them, they took them, and then they were taken to Cork, and they were taken by boat to to I suppose Swansea, or I don't know where. Yeah. Where yeah, and uh, then to London, they were sold in Billingsgate in London. Wow, and you know, yeah. you just got me thinking as well. If your granddad only needed one salmon, think of the think of the week that maybe he had two or three. Jeez, that must have been bananas. Yeah, it, <laughs> and the bar. Yeah, yeah. Nobody talked about them days. <laughs> Just before we go, that was another interesting. The salmon you caught in January, the price was much higher than the ones you caught in February. They were again much higher than the ones you caught in March. As the year moved on, the price went down. Yeah, scarcity. And then the guest, yeah. you see, predominantly yeah. Waterford came to people who were coming to fish for sea trout and grills. Like, yeah. And, uh, and uh, once May came, like if you said to me, if you said to me, Dara, there, uh, that if I wanted, to, if you if you wanted to come, when was the first time I could fish for sea trout? I'd say to you to leave it until the middle of May. And I'd still say that to you, like, you know, you'd catch sea trout in April. And, and stuff like that, and the odd one to be caught in March. But basically, if you want to fly fish for sea trout, you want to leave it into the middle of May. And and that's it. And therefore, the bigger ones come, like in bigger fish. Like, I mean, fishing for, for sea trout in May is exactly the same as fishing for spring salmon. If you arise one or two on the day and you get one or two, you're doing very well. Well, you just touching it there, and I remember hearing it, Neil. Traditionally, the, the sea trout that ran in May early, they were the bigger yeah. ones, weren't they? They're the bigger ones, yeah. yeah. They're the springers, yeah. I guess, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, my, my grandfather used to say that they were the spring sea trout, he used to call them. Right, yeah. Uh, you know, they were the first ones, like, you know, yeah. I mean, Wathor was famous for big sea trout, like, in, uh, a sea trout of four or five pounds was, wouldn't be out of the ordinary, like, you'd be talking to go up to eight or seven or eight, before I would say he was out of the ordinary. Like, there was a few, there was, it went for 10 years there that there was an average of between 35 and 40 specimens he throughout caught in Ireland, and 98% of them were coming from water. Quran itself. What's, actually, what's the biggest uh, cotton fly on Quran? The biggest sea throat cotton fly in Quran is 13 and a half, 13 pounds, 5 ounces. Beautiful. That's yeah. recent enough as well, Neil, isn't it? 2011. Yeah, oh, I, okay. I remember. I remember it actually. Yeah, it was a beautiful fish. Yeah, a man called Sean Smith was fishing with me. Caught him, and he's the biggest sea trout ever caught in Ireland in fly. Yeah, and believe it or not, three days later he got the second biggest. He was eleven seven. 
What what was he doing? Yeah, and he was he was listening to you, Neil, I presume. Take us through what happened, like when the the thirteen and a half pounder, like with the was he um, like where did you know where to go? Where were you looking for? Did you have an idea when he when he hooked it? And also, was it May? Twenty third of May. What were the conditions? Very hard wind from the northwest. I was actually. I was drifting in a place called Burned Island Bay, and it comes down to it. And the wind was strong from the northwest, hard, strong wind from the northwest. And I came to the point, and I took the boat around the point, and I brought her in at the back of it into a place they call it Mike Moratis. And uh, I, I was looking for shelter more than fish, to be honest with you. <laughs> but, uh, I worked my way through it there, and that was it's a very shallow, rocky area. And I walk my way up to where a, a stream comes in. And in a very tight, it's hard to believe even that he'd be there. Like, and we were like, where I had the boat, he had hardly enough room to cast behind him because the rocks were tight behind him. And if he casted the full length that he could, he was a very good caster. He'd put it, he hit the rocks on the far side. So we were, he were fishing. The next thing the fish took, I initially thought when he took it that he was a salmon. And we played him for probably uh, 15 or 20 minutes, never seen him. And then he jumped, and I said, that's him. I, I oh, said to him, that's a sea trout. Not a chance in the world. He said, he's too big to be a sea trout. I said, there's only one way we'll know this for sure. And that's what we'd have to get him. <laughs> and uh, that's the only time that fish jumped uh, un- until we landed him. And, we, and uh, he had sea lice in him. He was straight in like he was less than 12 hours or 14 hours in the lake. like. And wow. uh, we went back to the same place then three days later, and we got him 11-7. Nice. And he, wow. jumped, he jumped seven times. <laughs> there were two totally different fighting fish. The first fish, the bigger fish, was more of a deep, hard fighting fish, while the other fellow would, he, he, he at least went five times to the backing. And when you saw the 13 and a half pounder leap, was your heart in your mouth going, oh, Jesus, please land this fella, don't. <laughs> well, I suppose it would be a bit apprehensive if he'd go in because he would never know what the real story was then. Like, Had that been the biggest one you'd seen even like at that stage? like I had caught him over 10 before. Like, yeah. I had, I, had, nice. I, had, I had two or three would guess caught over 10 before that. I knew this fellow was better. Like, I knew he was better. Than, I knew he was, I, like, I... I would have said I would have said when I initially seen him that he was eleven or twelve, like, but he turned mm. out to be thirteen, five, like. And uh, I suppose the, the sad thing about the whole thing is that fish was killed. I was probably I was probably the the driving force maybe behind that because I knew no one would believe me if we didn't produce him. You know what I mean? Like mm. you can always say you got him, but like I mean, I weighed him in the net. I, I weighed him. I have a net that weighs, and he actually showed. 14 and a 14, a little more than 14 of the net, but you know that can be varied. But I said, Look, myself, I looked at it, I said, This fish has probably been, has probably spawned an awful lot of times, like, and mm. there probably isn't a lot more in him. So I decided that day, and I said, to No one would ever believe it that he was the biggest, like. And uh, then we came back and we got him, we released the other fellow, and that was 11 7. So that was satisfying. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Was there a cast made of it or? 
Yeah, he's in display in the in one of the pubs in Walkable, yeah. Since we're talking about sea trout, Neil, and obviously, you know, that's what Quran was famous for. And like was it the like was summertime like festival kind of period in terms of the numbers of visitors that would come fish it? You know, was the town a buzz? There was a massive amount of anglers, like I mean like Quran is two thousand five hundred acres. It's probably a little bit smaller than Sheelan. I've seen 50 to 60 boats fishing it like. Oh, wow. And I, That's a lot I've of boats. seen it. An awful lot of people came from Cork and up the west of Ireland seeing the fishing. And once, you know, sea trout fishing, you can have a huge amount of sea trout and nothing happening. And if they start to take, then the word goes around very, very quickly. <laughs> you get a fierce, fierce invasion of people then. <laughs> you know, and it's very easy. I mean, when it's fished fierce hard, then for maybe 10 days or a fortnight, it puts them off. Like, not a lot of motors, not a lot of engines driving around and you know, driving back over drifts and things like that. Like, But, you know, it coped with it. It has, you nearly call that a self-preservation mode that you wish to go into. But a mm. lot of problems with it, a lot of problems at the moment is, Water temperature, like I mean, especially over the last four or five years, we've had these periods in, 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 in like April, May, end of March, April, May, where we get long periods of fine weather and the temperature of the lake rises and it puts it, it's a, it is a detrimental effect on, on sea trout fishing, like because it puts them off completely. Mm. And You'll see then as the year moves on, the temperature starts to drop and the lake starts to, the, the, the water temperature starts to drop. Because what you happen then, what happens then is when you get this period, the water temperature rises and when the weather changes, you end up having your water temperature higher than your air temperature and it makes it very, very difficult. I, I presume mm. it does the same thing for you, Tom. Yeah, I hate it. Always hate it on the lake here. Yeah. Never, yeah. It's never good. Never good, yeah. And uh, it takes... It takes it a, a long, a long time because even this year, uh, they have a, a, a temperature gauge on the Quran that goes right to the bottom. And on the on the twentieth of September this year, at thirty at thirty meters down, it was eighteen degrees, which is incredibly hot. Like, Ooh. You know, yeah. So, and you see, what what's the best thing to cool cool um the lake here is is wind putting more and more oxygen into it and we had fierce long periods this year of calm weather even when the weather was like everyone talked about july and august water was seem to cope well if you get if you get a, a, a wet april and wet may and starts to improve in june then it didn't it doesn't seem to make any difference in july and august if, if the temperature is high then You'll still get fresh juniors coming in and they'll take like and uh, they'll take in the morning they'll take in the evening you know the same with the grills like when the grills come if the weather is very fine in june and july they'll still take because you'll get a pot of grills coming in most nights like so and if they're there for three or four days they begin to get more difficult like but it sounds like you're it, it, you know climate change is obviously affecting it a lot um, in terms of the water temperature, as you said. Um, good, yeah, the water temperature, yeah. And, of course, then the fish farm as well, Neil. That's causing a problem, isn't it? That's causing a problem as well, yes. Yeah, that's an ongoing thing, like, but 
I don't know how you deal with that. Well, look, we, we yeah, and we've got we spoke to John Murphy from um, Salmon Watch Ireland who who details that. Yeah, John um, was very involved in it, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'd recommend people listen to that podcast for insights into that and and the case and just the kind of fight that's ongoing for you. But I suppose Neil, just as a gilly, because it's your livelihood that you know you feel like you're kind of getting hit by a few different sides, whether it's the climate, whether it's man-made. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's getting. Do you agree? It's getting harder in terms of the numbers of sea trout are there, and as a result, it becomes kind of a kind of a catch twenty two. You know that angling numbers drop off, and therefore less fish get caught, and therefore less anglers. Do you, is it kind of caught in this vicious cycle? It is kind. You know, it makes it difficult. All right, like you know, I mean, it's it's it, it's easier for me when I deal. It, what it is is it's harder to generate new guests. Yeah, mm. people that fish with you on a regular basis won't go by reports or anything, they'll ring you up and they'll say, what's the story? Like I had two particular guys in player there. They had kind of abandoned Waterville for a few years and they made contact with me, not last year, no, but the year before. And uh, like I explained, look, we have a chance if the conditions are right and all that. And they arrived to me and believe it or not, everything went right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We got... We got eight or nine seats out the first day they came. And, uh, you know, you poke away through it. And I'm a long time at it now. Like, and, you know, I even, when it, even at, it, at its best, you're not going to get seven or eight or ten seats out every day. But if you can find one or two rises and get one or two and maybe one good one, like, people have a, a good feeling about it then again. It, it, it is the difficulty, isn't it, for, for across, I think, for whether salmon angling or the sea trout, like you said, is that... We're not. We don't have the stability in the climate anymore that we're seeing, or else it's extreme, as in you know, drought for six, eight weeks or whatever. That you have to be able to strike while the iron is hot. Now you have to, yeah. But it is a case. Do you think Neil? Like, watch the conditions, and if the, if the window is there, that then you have to be prepared to kind of to make your move. You have to be. You have to be. Yeah, yeah. Like speaking of those two boys with me they arrived to me in july right after the weather changed this year and we had great fishing like we had very good fishing a lot of action a lot of fish some not very you know juniors what i what we call juniors here uh they'd be say throughout that it'd be three quarters of a pound to a pound and a quarter like good few of those and then we had one or two three pounders thrown in with it as well and a salmon so that good makes it all great stuff neil well. i mean that's that's as good as you get anywhere once that happens you know and you see we, we're using the upper lakes a bit more now as well because the coral fisheries the club here have control of, over those and um you can get a boat on those now no problem like there's two boats in Diriana, one boat in Loch Namona, and two boats in Clonoughlin and uh, I mean if you're having difficulty with sea trout due to weather conditions you can go after brown trout and it, you know if you're guest in for a week like and you have two difficult days in the main lake, you can try these, and it, uh, and they're picturesque, like um, scenery and all that, and the eagle is on one of the islands there, and, you know, all that is nice as well, like. Lovely, and, like, another thing, as you said there, I mean, like, I don't know if compare, but, like, there's a couple of good brown trout. You touched on it there. I mean, it's coming those lakes have thrown up brown trout, as you said, around two pounds. And then around oh, yeah. that oh, you know, oh, a few big, a few bigger ones as well, like. Yeah, I mean, like to be honest, yeah, I often say that. I mean, sometimes 
I think a lot of brown trout fishermen sometimes get a bit spoiled, you know, and expecting things, you know. But like, to be honest, yeah, and I say it myself, I fish, I have no problem. I'll travel to places and I, it doesn't bother me. If you get an action, all right, to be honest, it'd be hard to put in a day for, let's say, a 10 inch fish if you're only rising yeah. one and you only caught one for a 10 inch fish. But the beauty of them is if they are 10 inch fish and you're rising loads of them, then you're getting action. <laughs> If you if you went to Galliano with me, I'd be very disappointed if we got less than ten. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people. And, and if we look at it, if we look at even if we look at the trout and salmon, and we look at places in England, they're fishing for small fish and small streams and all that. Like, mm. I mean, like it's like what Tim Stoop said to me. He said you're probably spoiled because he said you 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 know and you know I find people. That's the thing that I found over the last few years that we have when we have fished. The upper lakes, but the uh, the action on the on the brown trout, like people are absolutely stunned by it. Like, yeah, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be like you know, I wouldn't be a massive expert on brown trout fishing. Like you know, a lot of it is fairly straightforward. Like we fish for sea trout with you know wet flies and stuff like that. But I mean, the guys that had used um, um, dry fly and well, we've done dry fly with the buzzers and all this kind of thing as well. Like you know, they probably have great success there. Like. Mm-hmm. I haven't gone down that line yet. Oh, I'll have to go. I'll have to get there. <laughs> You'll have to come there, yeah. <laughs> I haven't been down for a couple of years. You know, I've to be honest, I've driven past it a good few times, but on the shores, I've actually never fished it. Oh, yeah. And it's on my small, it's on my small bucket list. Yeah, it's on my Irish well, bucket list. You have the right phone number now. <laughs> I do. <laughs> No excuse. Uh, whoever out there, if there's anybody listening who got a text, <laughs> saying, sorry, Neil, we can't do the recording tonight, but we'll do it. Uh, could you just text back and tell me you got the text? I, I, I had Neil's number wrong. It's a, we'll explain it later. But uh, yeah, no, I have the right number now. We'll have, you'll have to come for a couple of days this year and we'll go through the whole thing. <laughs> Master you, know class. I, you know, actually, what's really got me going, I mean, you're talking there about because I'm not, as as Dara knows, I'm not a salmon man. You know, it's trout that do for me. And here, even talk about Dariana there. But you know what really is interesting to me there? Your method of fishing the spring salmon. Like, actually, yes. I, that, that's really, that's, I'm sort of, I got a sort of an urge. I'd like to try that. I really would like oh, to yeah. try that. Yeah. Well, all we have to do, all we have to do is just arrive. I have, tis all in the hut of the lake. The double-handed salmon rod is there with the cast is on it. I mean it. I didn't fish it at all yet this year, so it's there whenever you want to use it. No. <laughs> Look outside the door there, Neil. <laughs> you won't I'm be outside long. the door. <laughs> but it sounds a bit. There is an opportunity of spring salmon on Quran in the next few months, February no to February to April. No question about it. I'd be very, I'd be very surprised if there wouldn't be close to a hundred spring salmon caught by middle of May here. Uh, so if you get decent conditions, oh, decent conditions. I mean, you, I mean, decent conditions is one thing, but we do hammer away in bad conditions as well, and you'll yeah. get salmon trolling as well. Like, <laughs> I mean, the four foot wave wouldn't put us off. Hardy down there, as <laughs> in the kingdom. I do a lot. Of, I do a lot of trolling in four foot waves, and she'd be falling off them and down and again, and you know. You were doing a bit of trolling yourself, did you, Tom? Yeah, I used to. I used to do an awful lot of it year years ago for the grills. Yes. Yeah, you, yeah, and still do a bit. Still do a bit early season for the trout, just for 
because I always did it. But you know, I did it for the years. So, for, uh, and yeah, I haven't done as much for the Ferox now lately. Um, mm-hmm. used to, I used to do an awful lot for the Ferox. I used to bring guys out, but the way it's gone on now, there's sort of like there's there's specialists now for the Ferox fishing. You know, there oh, yes. um, the 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 predator guys and likes of Tommy and them that are at it. And to be honest, I only sort of did it as a side thing, Neil. And yes, yes. You either you, like if you look at the, the guys that are at it now, they're into big time, like three screens on the go. You know, oh. depth finder. I know, I know. But look, yeah, look. Each the that's I, it, know, each, 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 it, yeah. yeah, each to their own. Each to their own. Yeah. I mean, it is successful. It is successful. I mean, that said, actually, no. In all fairness, when I started the ferox fishing, I used to do it in the early two thousands. I actually did use a fish finder. No, mm-hmm. but the reason I used a fish finder and it was a very basic one. It was basically I needed to know the depth of water I was in. Absolutely, I, I, I actually really needed to know. And like my time at the time, I wanted to be water between thirty to forty feet, and I was finding if I could get shoulder roach at twenty feet, or because I'd be fishing at about twenty feet. That's where I'd be pulling my. It was generally roach I was using, pulling it through it. But the the fish finder. Well, occasionally would show me shoulder roach was basically to be certain I was in between about 30 foot depth. And also then, because it's a nuisance, if with all your rigs and everything, if you hit the bottom, if you suddenly see it getting shallower, you can avoid it. Yes. Whereas if you didn't, yes. yeah, if you didn't have one, you'd be getting hooked, you know, snagged up all the time. And that just ruins everything. And even if you get your tackle back and sometimes you lose it. So, yes. yeah. So, you know, in one way, I have to say, like, that's why I wouldn't knock it. I did use a fish finder when I was at it. So yeah, enough, that's yeah, it. Yeah. You know, but like, to be honest, yeah, I, I don't <coughs> leave other people doing it now. But no, I used to do a lot for the grills. I used to I used to enjoy doing it for the grills years back. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't a lot of trolling. Like, and I mean, you know, and I had guys with me that had the fish finder with them as well. Like, it's a, it's a absolutely no benefit to have a salmon. And take no. it from <laughs> me that it's no yeah. <laughs> I tell a little story about a Dutchman that I fished with for many years. A very nice man, and he retired. And his friends bought him a fish finder. He arrived with it, and we went to the river mouth one morning. And I drove through the river mouth. It's a great place for spring salmon fly fishing, and not a fish of any description showed up on the fish finder. And he said to me, "It had been a fine thing to stay at home and bid." And I said to him, "Willem, if you..." came here this morning, everything looks right. And I said, you would fish it hard. He said, I'm finding it hard. I'm finding it difficult to fish it hard when I know there's nothing there. So I said, turn off the fish finder and fish it. And we fished it. We started at about nine o'clock or maybe a little bit before it. And we had seen nothing or touched nothing. And at 10 minutes to 12, while the floor runs in alongside the reeds, I see the fish move. I can remember this. I looked at my, I looked, looked at my watch and I said, yeah, they're starting to come now. And the next thing he was in him. And between 12 o'clock and 3 o'clock, we caught three spring salmon and we lost two more. Right. <laughs> and the whole thing ended. And I said to him, with him, these came. One or two of them ran the river. The rest of them are after back here out of it. Now we can go home. And that's you know that's as simple as it's as simple as that. Like and if he went down on his own and went in with a fish finder, mm. he'd have went home. Yeah. But yeah. You know, yeah. it's it's small things. And you can be lucky. The guy 
50 yards away from him, who can catch Joe Samuels? And you can you would think there was nothing in the lake, like you know, yeah, that's, 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 that's salmon fishing, yeah. No, no, there, there are no good for salmon fishing generally for general trout fishing, there are no great advantage. I don't know if you find anytime you have one in the boat or somebody brings one out, everybody just tends to look at it. That's it's what gets me. Everybody's yeah. there, everybody, three, where are we now? What depth is it there? Was that a fish? Oh yeah! Look, look. There's another fish, right? And then you know, it's like it's like a TV in a pub. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it, it, it kills the art of conversation. It does. Well, the sufficient. <laughs> <laughs> you can't beat experience over technology, anyway. So obviously, Quran has obviously had its struggles in terms of the sea trout numbers, but you know, if people did want to give it a go, they wanted to come down. You know, a fish. You know, in the historic Quran and sample all the beautiful um scenery around there but to have a chance of a sea trout when are you talking about when should they be looking at coming down i suppose you could say the real four months of it is june july august and september mm. any one of those times like june you'll get bigger sea trout there uh come july you'll get the juniors as we call them the smaller ones coming in uh you'll probably have a better chance of more numbers and a little bit more action and then at the at the end, like in August and September, September can always be very good because the your lake is at capacity. Then whatever sea turtles are going to be in it are in it. Then you know, and mm. like as it stands at the moment, there's more than half of September booked out by me already. Like so, you know. Right. I mean, they'd be all fellas that'd be coming back to the same week and. The three bookings come yesterday. They are no one week in September, one week in June, and one week in April. Like so, you know, that's a spread across it. Like, but you know, that's uh, September is, is and and it's like anything. It's like when things are getting when things are getting shot. We go out till the twelfth of October, and mm. I mean when things are getting towards the end. You get a lot of fellas getting anxious and more anxious to have <laughs> yeah, a more. Yeah, I was yeah. waiting. I was, waiting you, yeah. see, I was waiting to see was it improving and all yeah. this kind of stuff. I do hear these questions, but you're lucky if we don't try. You you can't. If you don't try. But that said, even it. though even though the sea trout, like as we were saying, has been difficult over the last couple of years. I mean, last summer, you, you did have a couple of good days, like the as you said that. Oh, we had we a lot of good days. Yeah, a lot of good days. Yeah, so yeah. you know. Um, Especially in the early part of July when the weather changed, and when then it broke that got... time. But yeah. I mean, isn't it, isn't it very funny, Neil? We that, it's funny that you say that because we great fishing on the lake here when that weather broke in July. It's amazing. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, it changes the whole atmosphere of everything. Change everything, and something just happened. Breaks like yeah. The, the lake, yeah, the lake went alive. Yeah, and you get a lot of you get a lot of fish from the from the uh, pre previous to that. The level of the lake is low. And the water going out into the sea is probably quite warm, and a lot of the sea trout would hold off as well and mill around back and forth in the bay there, like. And then mm -hmm. when the whole thing changes, you see you have a small you have a small you have a small side stream coming into the river coming down as well, which is a very extremely spayed, and it will create the bottom part of the river a butler's pool. And it'll give you the impression that there's a lot of water, and I think it draws them in very quickly then as well. Like, yeah. So, uh. and it's very hard to catch. It is very hard to catch sea trout in Butler's Pool because uh, I suppose 
if you go to Wales and places like that, traditional sea trout fishing is done at night, and Wathel was never noted for fishing at night. Like we we are very social there was, there was, hours. There was other there was other things to be done at night time. That's very interesting, and it's well worth keeping in mind. And it's you know it's good. To, like I know we were saying, all right, that the sea trout has suffered a bit, but you know there's there's still plenty of opportunities down there. So that's that's really good to hear, Neil. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's still one of the great sea fisheries in Ireland. Like, well, that's going to lead me on to the next one because I I have a feeling we well we'll see where it comes from. But you've been warned, I presume, of the next the question we're going to ask you. We ask everybody coming on what their most memorable fish on the fly was, Neil. So I'm going to ask you now. I suppose the most memorable one of my own. It was probably the 16-pound salmon that I got in the fly like. And I, I have got a couple of sea trout over 10 pounds as well. Like, I mean, a sea trout over 10 pounds is a serious, serious beast when he gets in his head to go. I seen a guy with me catching a sea trout of only 7 pounds, and literally in less than 10 seconds, he was 40 meters into the backing like, and I had to row as hard as possible wow. to keep in contact with him. And he arcs then in a big arc, like, you know, on the deadline, like, and, uh, you know, I suppose I got a, I got a seat shot. I, I, I seen, I, there's another, uh, he's a friend of mine from Tralee and he fishes quite a bit with me, but we were drifting at the Black Rocks one day and he cast it in towards the, the little horseshoe shape of the rock and he cast it towards, he cast it towards the rock and he went, there was a huge rise. And he said, what was that? I said, it was a decent seat shot. What am I going to do? I said, retrieve it back now. And I said, cast it. But it was, and what do you do now? I said, the boat, remember the boat? This happened so quickly. Like, I said, the boat is drifting very fast. You don't, so don't cast as far as well. Put it right down on top of him again. And he put it right down on top. And he absolutely exploded it. <laughs> half an hour later. Half an hour later, we had a nine and a half pound seat. They had the good days. You've had, and that's the thing, you've had plenty of stories of those, like the doubles, the double figures as well. I'm sure if it if were if in the boat with me, they'd be coming back to me as I was passing places. <laughs> getting old now, and my memory is getting shattered. <laughs> Jeez, I'll have to get down soon before it goes entirely. No, you'll have to come, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and for people who are interested, Neil, how did they get in touch? What's the website? What's the email? The website is oshealochoran.com, and uh, the, the email is info at oshealochoran.com. Can't guarantee a double figure, but he'll certainly put you over some fish anyway. Oh yes, we'll we'll look, we'll find we'll find him. I got him. To, I got with two men from Luxembourg. I got two double figures two years ago. Mm-hmm. They were here in June, and we got one of ten and a quarter and ten and three quarters. I didn't see one since, but it must be coming close again. Every day you go out, it will bring you a day closer to him. <laughs> Neil O'Shea from Loch Coran, thank you very much for joining us and for your time. It's been brilliant chatting to you. A man whose family is, I've never met a family so steeped in uh, fly fishing uh, history in Ireland. And so thanks a million for joining thank us on Tight Lines for the and season. Tom, the same to you, and uh, hope to see you here soon. Our thanks to Neil O'Shea for joining us on the show. Don't forget to rate, review, and follow the Ireland on the Fly podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 
Plus, you can keep up to date on IrelandOnTheFly.com as well as on Instagram. And myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. <laughs>